The other week, my family was out. We were just exploring, having a little fun. We went to um, this historic site of a, of a signer of the, of the um, Declaration of Independence. And so we're there, and we're kind of learning a little bit of what life was like in the 1700s. And there's the guy who gives a little tour, and we're going through and exploring this guy's house a little bit. And he kind of focuses on our kids a little bit and kind of telling them, hey, here's what life was like as a child. And we're in the kitchen area, and he says, hey, what would happen is the adults would sit around the table, and they would eat at the table, but the children, they would have to stand back. They would stand around the edges, and they would eat standing up. And if there was anything that the parents need, any adult needed, that the children would go, and they would serve the parents, because the focus of the home was not the child. The focus of the home were the adults. And so he's explaining this, and he says, and every, every child had chores. Now, every child that, you know, from a young age, they had things that they had to do. In fact, the, the youngest in the family, they would be the ones in charge of the chamber pot. And, you know, they don't know. We don't have a reference for what chamber pot is you know, exactly. And so he's kind of explaining it a little bit. You know, there were no toilets and all this. And so there's the chamber pot, and the youngest one, they had to deal with the chamber pot. And Pierce, our son, you know, he's five. And eventually the light bulbs went off of what a chamber pot was and what his duty would have been if he were a part of that family. And, you know, the look, the expression on his face when he just had that aha moment and the light bulbs went off, it was priceless. I wish I could have got a picture of it. But, you know, we've all had those moments, haven't we? Those aha moments where the light bulb just kind of goes off and we, we discover something, some kind of truth, and something just kind of clicks in, and then we get it. As we have been kind of making our way and looking at what uh, evangelism looks like in a, in a postmodern, post-Christian world, and we've been kind of tra- traveling through the Emmaus Road, we'll see when the light bulbs go off. Uh, for these two friends on the Emmaus Road. And it, it wasn't when Jesus just told them and explained them to them everything that was happening. It was when he modeled to them what the life of Christ looks like. So, let's go ahead and pick up the story. Luke 24, verses 30 through 32. Luke 24, verses 30 through 32. It says this, When he was at the table with them, He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their eyes were opened and their hearts burned within them. They were on fire. Okay, just to recap where we've been on the Emmaus Road a little bit. Jesus has been crucified, okay? And these friends, they they leave Jerusalem, they leave brokenhearted because they had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. But they've given up that hope. And so they left, and they are hightailing it out of Jerusalem. They are leaving to go to Emmaus, And they're on this road, and then Jesus sees these friends, and he's the one. He initiates the conversation with them. They don't invite him to be a part of it. He goes, and he interjects himself into the conversation, and he doesn't just stop them and talk to them. He walks with them on the road, right? He joins them on their journey, and as he's walking with them, he's asking questions. 
Questions that he already knows the answer to, but just to kind of hear what they're saying and hear their worldview and kind of uh, see what they're thinking. And so he's asking these questions. And, you know, the, these guys, they, they've given up hope. They, they think it's a lost cause, that Jesus, he, he wasn't the one. And so they, they, they have these broken hearts. And it's, they've been walking for a while. They decide to stop for the night. Jesus acts like he's going to keep on going. And they invite him. He, he waits to be invited. They invite him to come and, and stay with them for the night, not to keep on walking. And so that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the invited guest. But we see here in this story that he's the invited guest. But he, when he sits down to eat with them, he's the one who takes command of the table. Right? He's the one. He, the invited guest, he's the one who takes the bread and breaks the bread and shares it with his friends. And he's the one who prays and gives thanks. And, you know, all of our lives, they all tell a story. You know, that we, we all have things about us and they just tell the story of, of who we are. And there's things about us that, you know, you just know those people in your family really well. And when they do certain things, you, you say, you know, that's so like grandma, right? That, that's just so like Uncle Joe. That's just, that's just what they do. And we know this. Everyone has their like little idiosyncrasies and people who know them well. We laugh. We say, yeah, that's, that's just him. You know, the other, uh, the, uh, earlier this month, we were, um, or I guess late last month, we were visiting Steph's family. And, you know, we all love Steph's dad, and he's got, like, these noises for everything that, you know, happens, and, he's, and it's just kind of funny. And the cousins, you know, they're all together, all the, all the, all the little ones, and they, they come up with this song, kind of in honor of their grandfather, and it's all the little noises and everything, and they sing the song for us, you know, everybody, and we're just dying laughing because we know it's true. We know that that's just, that's just Steph's dad. That's how he is, you know, and we're laughing and we know it's true. But it's, it was done in honor of him. And, you know, Jesus, he's the same way. His life told a story. And there's things about Jesus that when Jesus just did what Jesus does, people say, ah, that's, that's Jesus. And so here he is. He breaks the bread. He gives thanks. He shares the bread. He serves the, them. And, you know, Jesus had kind of done things like that before, hadn't he? Jesus, we, we all know the story the, the, where he took the bread and the, and, and the fish and, and, he, and the five loaves and he, and he feeds 5,000 men plus the women and children. And the other time when he took the seven loaves and the fish and he broke it and he fed over 4,000 men plus the women and children. And there was the time in the upper room, right, where he broke the bread and he served their disciples, and it was the first ever communion service. And there was just these times, I imagine, that people, if they knew anything about Jesus, they knew how he fed people. They knew how he broke the bread. They knew how he prayed. And they say, that's, that's part of Jesus' story. These are like defining aspects that we just, that's just true of him. And I imagine Cleopas and his friend, as they're sitting at the table, and Jesus takes control, the invited guest takes control of the table. And he breaks the bread and he prays. And maybe they just stopped and they say, whoa, that's just how Jesus did it. That, that's just how Jesus, I've never seen anyone break bread and just serve people quite that way except Jesus. You know, up until this point in the story, their eyes were blinded. They had not yet recognized the fact that Jesus was Jesus. 
They were, they were still trying to figure things out. They're still headed to Emmaus brokenhearted. But when Jesus sat down and he broke the bread and he prayed, something clicked. Something clicked. You know, as he prayed, and, and it wasn't just this prayer. You know, sometimes we have these rehearsed prayers, you know, before mealtime. You know, it's just rub-a-dub-dub, thank you, Lord, for the grub. Let's eat, you know. It wasn't a prayer like that. That they hear Jesus and his interaction with the Father and this oneness that he has with the Father. And has, as he's praying, I almost imagine that, that Cleopas and his friend just kind of glanced up for a second. They peeked, you know, during the prayer maybe. And they caught each other's eye and they said, whoa. That's Jesus. I haven't heard anyone pray that way except Jesus, the way he speaks to the Father. Nobody talks to God like this. You can almost imagine it, and then they realize right there, this is Jesus. This is Jesus at the table with us. This is Jesus who just served us the bread. This is the one we've been talking to along the road all this time. It's Jesus. He's here. And you see, Jesus, he wasn't into religious practices, and rituals just for the sake of doing them. That, that wasn't it. This wasn't just some rehearsed prayer that he just did. No, Jesus demonstrated that he was in a relationship with God the Father. See, unfortunately, we can sometimes make the mistake that religious practices are just as valuable as a genuine relationship. Sometimes we can have this idea that, hey, you got to have your time for your Bible study, you got to have your time for prayer, you got to have your time to go to church, you got to have your time to serve. These are the practices you got to do. And that's good. These are good practices, these are necessary practices. But sometimes, as was in the case of Jesus' day, people can get in the habit of doing those things out of religion rather than out of relationship. The dictionary says that religion includes a moral code which governs our behavior. Jesus was not interested in communicating a moral code that would govern behavior. Jesus wanted people to know how to have a living relationship with the dynamic God of the universe and how out of that relationship your entire life is defined, that it comes out of a relationship not out of a practice. And this goes back to motivation. If you get up here on Sunday morning, you say, I'm going to church. You know, that's just what I do. Go to church on Sundays. You're missing the richness of worship with God's people. See, but if you get up and you say, you know, I've been pouring myself out all week. I've been going, I've been intentionally having gospel conversations, trying to befriend people. I've poured myself out for Jesus all week. I cannot wait to stand beside hundreds of brothers and sisters and just worship my Lord. I need that, that gas in the tank for the week ahead. <laughs> and just praise his holy name as we just sang about. Yeah, FYI, that's often why on our Facebook page we like put up, hey, here's our Sunday set list, here's what's coming up, just as that reminder, okay, I get to come together with the saints, with the people of God, and worship again. And I need that, because I've spent myself all week, I've been poured out, and I need just to be with the body again, I need to be refreshed again. We don't show up out of duty or obligation, 
but we show up because we are in love with our Savior and we desperately need Him for the week ahead. That our need for the week ahead, just like our need for salvation, is not partial. It is always total. And the Scripture... You know, we don't come to read the scripture just because it's a checklist. Okay, I got to get through this this much. This is what I'm supposed to do. It'd be really good if I read. But we come to the scripture believing that this word brings life. And knowing this and understanding this helps me know my Savior, helps me know my God, helps me know how I'm supposed to live because he's the creator of life. And so he's defined life as it ought to be lived. So I read and study this book to deepen my relationship with my Lord and Savior. See, sometimes religious practices can govern behavior, not the relationship. It's unintended. No no one sets out just to, let me just live by this code. No, No one sets out to be sinful. We're not trying to be disobedient, but we can get in the habit of just a fast-paced culture, a fast-paced life of just doing what we think we're supposed to do because, hey, that's just what we're supposed to do. But Jesus wasn't calling people to religious practices, but to a relationship. And out of that relationship, our life is then lived. You read the Old Testament, and you see the people of God were called to keep certain practices, that they were called to follow this moral law, this moral code, in order to stay in a right relationship with God. And Paul writes in Romans that the moral law just proved that humanity couldn't do it, that the value of the law, that the law was good in that it showed us we can't keep it, that no matter how great these moral laws are, we can't keep them on our own. They were in desperate need for someone to keep them for us and to die for us and to rise again for us because we can't do it on our own. We can never be good enough to stay in right standing with God. We can't keep one or two of them, much less hundreds of them. Jesus was sent to say that, hey, now that you are aware that you can't do it, I will do it for you. I will live the life that you couldn't live by yourself. I will die for you and rise again so that my life can be credited to you. So that when, G- when God the Father sees you, he sees me. The reason why this is so important to evangelism is this. People are created for relationship, not religious practices. People are created for relationship, not religious practices. So when we go through the checklist of just doing the practices, and it's not born out of a relationship, it's empty. It's empty. It might feel good momentarily. Maybe maybe there's some kind of satisfaction. I did the right thing. But it's all just man's efforts. And eventually, it leads to weariness. It leads to burnout. It leads to complaining. If you ever hear people complaining about serving, it's because they're doing it out of their own effort. And here's the thing. Doing something out of obligation, out of a religious practice, out of a good intentions or whatever else, anything other than out of a dynamic relationship with the living God, it does not inspire people to something greater. It just doesn't. I mean, these friends, 
they have their eyes opened when Jesus models the relationship with the Father. It, it wasn't when Jesus was talking to them. That's not when they had their aha moment. That's not when the light bulbs went off. It was when Jesus modeled to them the relationship that he had with the Father. The words were important, so they had something to kind of hang the truth on. But when they saw it lived out, that's when it clicked. You know, people are watching. They're looking to see, what is your life governed by? And when they see a life governed by a relationship with God, whoa. Because not many people live that way. It's totally contrary to the world, to anything they've, they've seen before. When they see how the risen Christ impacts every area of your life, how out of this one relationship with your Lord and Savior, so then every other relationship in your life is affected. So then everything you do is affected. And, and when they see the joy and the excitement and, and the love and the kindness and the patience and the peace that comes with that relationship that gets infused to every area of life, people take notice. I mentioned my friend Michael last week. His wife had invited him to church, and he'd come, and he'd heard me preach one Sunday, and he was interested. You know, usually I fall asleep during church. You actually made me stay awake, and you said some interesting stuff. You made me think. We had Michael and his wife over to our house, uh, along with some other friends, small group stuff, and he came over, and he was there, and then he came up after, and he talked to me, he said, Steve, I want to talk to you a little more, because there's something about just the way you interact with Steph, you know, the way y'all love each other is really clear, And, and the fun and the excitement that you have with your kids, he said, I want that. I, want, I haven't really seen that much in my life, and I want that. I want that for me and my wife. We want to have kids. We want, we want that. It wasn't the sermon. It was when he got to spend just a little bit of time, and I'm even looking at it, you know, almost like well, you were only in our house for like a couple of hours. Like, how did you even notice all that? Like, but people are watching, and when they see something different, they say, I, I want that. And so that's what kind of made him, like, engage further. Tell me a little more about Jesus. And the conversation started. And it didn't all happen for him at once. It just it was a continuing conversation. You know, he wasn't looking for a, for a system. He wasn't looking for some kind of religious practices. I mean, he'd read plenty of self-help books and, hey, try this system, do this, do that. This will make everything great. He tried all that, and it didn't work. Systems, religious practices, all that, it doesn't work. It's empty. It's hollow. It is out of a dynamic relationship with the living God that then life as it is meant to be lived happens. And when people see that, they say, that is different. I want that. In Acts 4.13, Peter and John, they've healed a crippled man. Maybe you remember the story and they were called before the religious leaders and they were told how bad they were for healing on the Sabbath and all this and what, what authority did you have to heal this man? By who, whose authority did you do this? What are you doing? And they show up and they preach. Says, well, let me tell you a little bit 
about Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And the religious leaders, they hear this and they're mad and they're angry, but at the same time, they're somewhat amazed. And do you remember what they said? They looked at each other and they said, those guys have been with Jesus. Those guys have been with Jesus. There's something about Jesus that is governing the way they live. For them, it made them furious. And it'll have that effect on people as well. Some people, oh, you credit your life just to Jesus, and that's infuriating. Why? Because we want to be in charge of our own life. People crave independence. I can do it. And the confession of the church is, I can't do it. I need Jesus. These guys, they, they see it. They're just modeling this relationship with God But see, religion doesn't attract people. It is a relationship that stirs within people this desire to be known, to be loved, to experience life like it is meant to be lived. Why? Because people weren't created for a system of religious practices. People were created for relationships. Relationships. And without the relationship, you end up on a road to nowhere. Let me show you what I mean. You just look back at the Emmaus story here, the the Emmaus Road, beginning in Luke 24, 13. Let me just read this to you, this story that we've been on for a while now. It says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, Mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Stop right there. Did you hear what they're saying about Jesus? Did you see what they're saying about Jesus? They say he was a prophet. He was a great prophet. He was a mighty prophet. He did a lot of things. But he was just a prophet. See what else? He did mighty things before God. But were they willing to say he was God? No. These are a couple of friends. They were in and around the things of God. But they weren't yet at that place where they were willing to say Jesus was God. He was just a prophet. He was a great man. And then they say to Jesus that they had really hoped, we'd really hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. Most scholars believe what they were really saying was that they were really hoping that Jesus was going to be one of us, that he was going to be this great leader to lead Israel back to the prominent place of the world. Maybe he could be this dynamic political leader, this this great strategic military genius, and he could come in and he could take control and he could kick Rome out. And Israel could be prominent again. All of Rome's oppressive taxation and the physical abuse and all that, it could just be kicked out. And Israel could be restored to her prominent place in the world the way it was during King David. 
that that's what they really hoped, that that's what they were pinning their hopes on Jesus for, that he was going to be this great political or military leader. But now they're looking at each other and they say, I guess it wasn't meant to be. I guess he's not the one. It's the third day, the tomb's empty. The women have checked it out. They've even heard the stories that the women have been there. And they said the tomb is empty. But they don't hang around. Why? Because they think Jesus is dead, or at least their hopes were dead. And then Jesus, in verse 25, he responds, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? In English, it sounds pretty harsh. He's telling them lovingly and truthfully, you lack understanding. You don't get it. You see, people who love you will tell you the truth. People who love you will tell you the truth. And he he says, hey, you guys have been in and around the things of God, but you've missed it. You've lacked the understanding of what Jesus was doing. You missed the importance. You've read the scriptures from Genesis through Malachi about the one who is coming, but you didn't recognize him. See, the world doesn't love you. The world will tell you, hey, whatever you think, go ahead. However you want to think, that's fine, that's good. Jesus loves you enough to tell you the truth. He loves you enough to tell you that by yourself, in and of yourself, you're not going to make it. That you need him. People who love you will come alongside you and they will lovingly and they will gently, but at the same time truthfully tell you, this is what you need to hear. That's what Jesus does for these guys. But notice, then Jesus explains, okay? He goes and, and he talks from Moses on about the prophets and how the prophets foretold Jesus coming. And he goes, and it must have been a fascinating talk. But they didn't yet recognize him. That wasn't the time. He said, hey, let me explain to you how it all pointed to Jesus. He, he didn't tell them that, hey, I am Jesus. He just, he just has the conversation. How Jesus can rescue you from your sin. How Jesus can bring you back into a relationship with God so that you can live a life of meaning, a life of purpose that the Creator has designed for you to live. It didn't click yet. See, they had settled for a political Messiah. And when the political Messiah didn't come through, they didn't know what to do. Because their reason for getting up in the morning, it was dead. Because that's what they were hoping for. And now it's, it's abundantly clear. Jesus is not returning Israel to the time it was under King David. That's not happening. Even though Jesus was alive, their hopes were dead because they set their eyes on something smaller. See, oftentimes people will leverage their lives to some kind of dream, some kind of level of prosperity, some kind of position, some kind of job, maybe a a future spouse, a family, something like this. And when it doesn't happen the way they envisioned, they're like these guys. They're confused. They're on a road to nowhere. Hey, I don't know where we're going, but we got to get out of Jerusalem. Let's just go to Emmaus. We can pick up the pieces. We can start over. Where do we go from here? People today do the same thing. 
We got our eyes set on something and we really want this to happen. And when it doesn't happen and when we see it crumble, well, let's just try to pick up the pieces, start over, try to make the best of things, see what happens. You see the problem? People often live life through this narrow lens of me. My job, my success, my family, my dreams, my hopes. But God hasn't created us for me. He's created us for relationship. And so what God does is he lifts us up, he picks us up so that we can see the bigger picture, so that we can see beyond ourselves. And we can see how our story intersects with God's story and then how life is meant to be lived on purpose because the relationship with God then flows out of us. And we live life the way God has designed it to be lived and people notice and they say, wow, that's so much bigger there's so much purpose in that. You, you can love people even who hurt you. You can be kind to people who are rude to you. You can have patience with people who are just downright mean. You, you can bring joy into the most difficult situation. How do you do that? Because we've been lifted from a place that life goes beyond me. And we can see how our story intersects with God's story and we live a life on purpose. I mean, you look at what Jesus must have shared with these guys and, and it must have got them thinking. But he says to them, you guys are thinking foolishly. That's the first thing. Oh, foolish ones, you're thinking foolishly. He goes after their understanding, their minds. And so he starts with Moses and he explains. And then he goes after their hearts. He says, you are slow of heart to believe. That, that same word for believe was found in John 5, 24, when Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes in me and the one who sent me has crossed over from death to life. Now they had knowledge, but the question was, would they believe? And the answer at that moment was not yet. You notice that? Jesus had explained the scriptures to them. It must have been a fascinating conversation. It must have been really interesting to hear. But they didn't believe when Jesus finished talking. That wasn't when they had their aha moment. That's not when the light bulbs went off. That's not what clinched it for them. That didn't do it. When did it click? It says their eyes were open and their hearts burned within them when Jesus, the invited guest, took control of the table and he broke bread and he shared it and he gave thanks and he prayed to the Father when he modeled to them what a relationship with God looks like. And when they saw that, something happened and they said, yes. That's Jesus. We believe. They turned around and said, forget Emmaus. We're headed back to Jerusalem. Do people need to be told about Jesus? Yes, 100%, absolutely. The message is critical. But please understand, people also have to see it lived out. They have to see it modeled. If it's just words, it's hollow. It's empty. You say one thing and you do another. Do I want that? No, nobody wants that. People have to see 
how you live a life in communion with God and how this affects everything you do, how this affects all of life, every situation that comes your way, every relationship you have, every job you do, everything you do. This is what Paul appeals to Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, look around you. The world is crazy. The world is nuts. It doesn't look good. He goes through this long list. Check it out. This is what the end of days are like. And Timothy's looking at it. He says, yep, yep, check, check, check. It looks, it looks bad. And we go through the list and we say the same thing. It looks bad, it looks bad, it looks bad. And then Paul says to Timothy, hey, because you have seen modeled before you how life is meant to be lived, how you have seen the community of faith lived, trust that. Trust, and you can trust the scriptures because of that. Because you can see how those scriptures have impacted the lives of these people, how they've now lived a life out of a relationship. You can trust that. What you've seen modeled before you, the relationship, that ought to impact your thinking. He actually bases the, the inspiration of scripture, not on the fact that God gave it, not on the fact that it was inspired. That, that's not what Paul based it on to Timothy. What he based it on was the community of faith has lived it before you and has proven it to you to be trustworthy. Look at how it's been modeled. See, Paul knew the potential of a life leveraged out of a relationship with God. And he says, look at the impact you can have. One of the things that gets me really excited is knowing that of the 300 people here, that if we live lives that are leveraged out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the impact that will be made all over Portsmouth, Chesapeake, the entire Hampton Roads area, because people will look and they will say, wow, I just don't see people living like that, that there is something different. You're just going up and you're making friends. You're sharing Jesus. You're impacting people not because it's your job or your duty or your obligation, but because you are living a life in communion with God. People's eyes will be open. Their hearts will be set ablaze because they say, oh, I want that. How do I, how do I have that? And then the conversation will begin. And you'll walk alongside them. And you'll ask questions. You'll listen. You'll share. You'll eat with them. They'll just watch you live your life. And they'll say, you know all that stuff you've been telling me? It really is true, isn't it? They'll say, yes. And it can be true for you too. So this, this is evangelism the way Jesus did it. Not just talking, but modeling and showing this is life. We get to do the same thing. Let's do it well this week. Heavenly Father, uh, what a privilege it is to be able to live life by the power of your Holy Spirit. To be able to live life out of a communion, of a, of a dynamic relationship with you, not in our own power. God, because when we try to do it by ourselves, it just works. It's just putting on a show. But God, when you live a life out of a relationship, it's different. God, thank you for picking us up to, to, to see life beyond me. We can see others. We can love them. 
and we can model to them how you love them. God, help us to do that well this week. We recognize that our need uh, to be able to accomplish this is total. We can't do it by ourselves. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.